All right. Well, get your Bibles out if you've got them. Are you ready to jump into His Word together? All right. Last week we started a, a series, and I didn't give you a title last week, but I'll give you one now. The Wisdom of the Ages. I want to talk to you today about the significance, again, that we find in meeting God in the pages of His Word. Last week we began this series with an admonition to surround yourself with the wisest counselors in the world. I told you about the significance of the relationship that we can have when we surround ourselves with a multitude of wise counselors. And there's none wiser than those that we find in this book. The men and the women of the Bible serve as incredible counselors that God has reserved for you and I to give us the wisdom of the ages in the pages of God's Word. Now, one of our young dads uh, that was in the service last week, uh, he started a project a little while back. He had told me about it several weeks back. He said he was going to write uh, his memoirs just from his young adult life to his son. He said, I'm going to write out the experiences that I've had. Well, he sent me a text message on Monday, and he said, uh, yesterday's sermon inspired a title for me, for uh, what I'm writing for my son. And the title that he said he was going to use is, Lessons Learned Through Consequences, So You Can Learn Through Wisdom. And, and I love that. But don't you love that? I mean, here, here's a dad who's, who's made some mistakes. He's, he's, he's done some things that, that has cost him dearly. He's, he's been educated in the school of hard knocks. And he's suffered the pain of regret. But he doesn't want that for his son. And so he's writing these life lessons down. And isn't that a heart that every parent has? I mean, every one of us. We don't want to see our kids make the same mistakes that we've made. We don't want to see them go down the same road. We don't want to see them pay the same price. And, and, and we would all say that, that if our kid can learn through wisdom what we learn through consequences, then they'll be a lot better off. And can I tell you why every parent feels that way? No matter how you were raised or what your consequences were, we all feel that way. The reason we all feel that way is because every parent was created in the image of God. And that's the Father's heart. The Father's heart is for you to get wisdom, to learn from the experience of those in the Word of God so that you don't have to suffer the consequences, so that you don't have to go down those long roads of regret and sorrows that you'll have to live with for years to come. Here's what the Bible says. I read this verse last week, but just as a starting point, I want you to see it again. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples and they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the age has come. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, this is why we have the Bible. This is why God preserved for us in an archive the stories of the men and women of the Old Testament. We have these things written down as an example for us. It's the heart of a father that says, I don't want you to make the same mistakes they made. I don't want you to, to, to bang your head 
against the same low beam that they did. I don't want you to trip over the same stone that they stumbled over. These things have been written down and recorded for your sake and for my sake, upon whom the culmination of the ages has come. So here's my hope. Last Sunday, my hope this Sunday. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is my hope next Sunday. My desire is that you would become a self-feeder. Say, what is that? Well, go to the restaurant today and pay attention. You'll see the difference. Most of us will pick up our own fork and put it in our mouth. But they've got some special chairs that they put little people in that haven't yet learned how to pick up their own fork and put it in their mouth. They're not self-feeders. Mom or dad or grandma or aunt or uncle is going to help them and spoon feed them. And when you start out in your faith, that's the way it is. You don't, you don't really know how to feed yourself the word of God. You let somebody else teach you and mentor you and, and feed you the word of God. And that's, that's not, that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's what's happening right now. I'm feeding you the word of God. I took the time to digest it. I took the time to break down the hard stuff and make it easy for you to digest. I'm feeding you the Word of God. But if you're going to have any strength, if you're going to get any distance in this thing called faith, you're going to have to become a self-feeder. You're going to have to get to the place where you know how to open up this book on your own and allow God to lead and guide your life. And He'll do it. There's a multitude of mentors that wait for you in the pages of God's Word. And if you'll open it up daily and begin to apply it to your life, you're going to grow. You're going to be strong. You're going to be strengthened. Listen, we've been saying all this year we're better together. But I used to have a coach in high school that always said this, the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. He'd, put, he'd say that to put the pressure on us. You know, if one guy was slacking off running sprints... The chain's only as strong as the weakest link. In other words, if you don't hold your block, it doesn't matter if the other guys hold their block. And for us to be better together, I have to personally be better all by myself. And you have to be better all by yourself. You've got to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. And as much as we can work together and we can encourage one another, here's the truth. Nobody can grow for you. Amen? I can't grow for you. You can't grow for me. I have to go after God all by myself sometimes. And I want to challenge you. That's my heart in this little three-week series. That we would get into the Word of God and open this book. So I want to speak very practically today. At the end of this message, I'm going to give you some very practical things. And I want to encourage you to, to write them down. There's a space in the bulletin for you to take notes. There's a pen in the backs of the seats. We provide those things because we assume you want to learn something. Amen? We're just going to give you that. We assume it. And so I want to give you some practical things today to help you at the end of this message. But I want to just begin by encouraging you to do something. Enjoy the presence of God. Now I know that doesn't sound deep, but it's practical. Enjoy the presence of God. Because the thing that's going to motivate you to go back and to seek God on your own is your memory from the last time you were there. And if the last time you were there, you found no joy in it, no fulfillment in it, you're not going to be motivated outside of pure tenacity and grit. You're going to have no motivation to want to go back and get into God's presence again. So here's the deal. I can read my Bible 
on, on a smartphone or an iPad. I, I do it all the time. But you know what I really enjoy? I enjoy holding a leather Bible in my hand. Now, that doesn't mean I'm more spiritual than you. I like it. I'm reading out of the NIV. You might say, well, you know what? I like the King James Version. Well, good. Then when you have your personal time with God, make sure it's a King James Version Bible. Because I like reading this translation of the Scripture. There's other translations that I like to read out of. Now, when God speaks to me, I can write it down on the backside of a napkin. I can get the job done that way. But you know what I like? I like, I like a journal. I like to go into that section at Barnes and Nobles where they got all those journals. I like to find a good, like, worn leather journal. I enjoy writing in a journal more than I do on the back of a napkin or a post-it note. And so when I go into my quiet time with God, I like to have a leather Bible. I like to have a journal that I can write down what God says. You know, I can, I can drink any kind of coffee. That's not true. <laughs> I can't drink any kind of Look, I can't even be saved if you serve me a, a cup of like Maxwell House or Folgers. I might just lose all spiritual ambition right there. I need to seek God by the patron saint of the morning, Saint Arbucks. That's what I need. But a good cup of coffee helps, you know what I'm saying? Like I just enjoy a good cup of coffee. So I'm just saying make it memorable. Have Enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy the time that you spend there. If you've got a favorite porch swing and you've got weather like we had this weekend, man, get outside and get on that swing with Jesus. But enjoy that time. But let me, let me caution you on the other side now. Let me just be honest with you. Because here's what we do. I, I wouldn't want you to, to do this, but I, I know this is our tendency. To leave a service like this and be like, you know what? i got, I got to go and get me a good journal. I want to I meet with Jesus this week. I know you're going to leave this service and you're going to meet with Jesus this week. But before you do, some of you are going to go, yeah, but I, I need to get to the store. I need to buy me a journal. And I don't have a chance to get there till Thursday. And so I'm going to pencil that in. And maybe Thursday when I get me the journal that I want, then I'll, I'll meet with Jesus. Or some of you might say, well, I just love to meet with Jesus, uh, you know, when the sun's shining and the weather's nice. And you're going to get up, but then it's going to be overcast and raining. You're going to go, eh, it's really not the best time. So listen, as much as you want to make it memorable and make it a great experience in God's presence, be practical too. I get up in the morning sometimes and, you know, your devotional time doesn't need to look like an Instagram post. Okay? It doesn't have to be, you know, I don't have to have my little French press, like hipster uh, coffee machine there and my leather bound everything and wearing a cardigan. And, you know, it doesn't have to look that way. In fact, I rarely post any pictures from my devotional time because I don't want you to see what I look like in the morning. But just meet with Jesus. And get in His presence on a daily basis. God wants to meet with you, church. Here's the thing. God has set a table. Prepared a table for you. The spread is there. He wants to meet with you in His Word. You know, Psalm 23, verse 5, it says this. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Did you know on a practical level, sometimes... Our biggest enemies are just distractions. 
I mean, let's not get too spiritual. We read a verse like that and immediately, we, you know, we think of, uh, of evil spirits and, and wickedness in high places. But, but God prepares the table in the presence of our enemies. And sometimes it's not the devil that's distracting us. It's the remote control. Is this just too real for y'all this morning? Is this okay? Y'all are like, I, you're getting a little personal. Just, just preach the word. Just get, you're getting too personal. Are you hearing me today? Let's be honest. Sometimes the, the enemy that distracts us is, is not spiritual wickedness in high places. It's social media. Sometimes the things that distract us are our children. It's not devils. We might think so sometime, but it's just children. They're just kids. Even if you curse them, they're just kids. God wants to meet with you. Here's what, here's what Solomon said. In Song of Solomon, now this might seem like an odd verse to pull out in this moment, but in Song of Solomon, there's this, uh, this love story that's being played out between a, a lover and his bride. And, and in this metaphor, they look at the spring of the year uh, as symbolic of their love that's blossoming and blooming. And so in Song of Solomon, verse chapter 2 and verse 15, he writes this to his lover. He says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I don't want anything to hinder our love. I don't want anything to mess up the relationship that we're cultivating. And oftentimes in our relationship with God, it's the little foxes. That's what he's saying. It's those pesky little things that are the, the nuisances, the distractions, the things that keep us from getting in and from letting love bloom. The Spirit of God wants to impart to you and He wants to impart to me every day the wisdom of the ages. He wants to counsel you through His Word. But many times the, the issue is not a heart of rebellion. It's not a heart of unbelief. Let's be honest. It's smaller than that. It's the little foxes. It's staying up too late. It's sleeping in too long. It's the little foxes. I want to challenge you today to see how significant the opportunity is that God gives you and I every day of our lives to glean at the feet of spiritual mentors the wisdom of the ages. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. I want to show you a passage that's perhaps very familiar to us, but in the context of this conversation, I want you to see just a few verses. This is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were friends of Jesus. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10, That Jesus is coming to their house. I want to read it together. Let's start in verse 38. Follow along with me. Luke chapter 10 verse 38. Here's what it says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, if that's all we know about Martha, I'm going to say she's all right. Now, some of you, you you know this story, and you've already jumped ahead, and she's already been the black sheep in your mind. But just stop right there. Martha's cool. She's the one that opened the door. She's the one that invited Jesus in. Remember that. 
She's saved. This girl is a church girl. She loves Jesus. She doesn't just want him at church. She said, come to my house. Can we just get an amen for Martha? Because I know some of y'all are at the end of the story already. So Martha's okay this morning. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. Now, I know, I know this is the moment where we start to pick on Martha. But hold on. That verse said they had to be done. Do you see that? They, they had to be done. They, she was distracted, but it had to be done. I mean, it was necessary. She did invite him into her house. There was things that had to be done. She came to him. And she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But look at Jesus' reply. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So here's Mary and Martha. Jesus is in their house. Martha has welcomed him. But now that he's here, she's thinking about all the things that she has to do to be a good host. And so she's buzzing around the kitchen. She's flying around the room, trying to take care of everything, trying to make sure everything is just right. And there's Mary just sitting and enjoying the presence of Jesus. She's hanging on every word. She's listening to what he's saying. And Martha comes back saying, Jesus, why don't you tell her to help me? There's many things, she would say, that have to be done. And the things that she called requirements, Jesus called distractions. He said they're distractions. There's a few things that are actually needed. Or indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. You know... I used to be a worship pastor full-time, and we had a, a pretty good-sized choir that met every Tuesday night. And One of the things that I would do on Tuesday nights to just continually challenge them in their personal walk with the Lord is I would ask a question. I would say, has anybody got any fresh bread? And, and they learned pretty quick that uh, that was a question that was going to demand a response. And I did it... Uh, Kind of as an accountability practice. Because they knew that after I said, does anybody have any fresh bread? If somebody didn't volunteer, I was going to pick somebody. And what I meant by fresh bread was this. Jesus said that He is the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus said, unless you eat of me, you have no life. And so what Jesus was saying and what I was trying to communicate to the choir was that you've got to get in this word every day. You can't live off something stale. You can't live off something you learned a week ago or a year ago. What is God saying right now? And so every week I would ask the questions. Anybody got any fresh bread? And if nobody volunteered, I would say, Chris, man, what's God been showing you? And then right there with, with everybody watching. So what happened is people started wising up. 
they realize that I better get something out of my devotion time this week and jot it down because he's going to probably call on me Tuesday. And then there were also those choir members that you could see sitting in their car before choir rehearsal with their head down. And you knew they were getting something right now because they're going to walk in the door. And, and so one day, after a while, they gave me this sign. It sits in my office now. As a, now I do it to myself. But they gave me this sign. It looks like the guy Got Milk ad. But it says, Got Fresh Bread? And so that sits in my office. It's, I've had it for years. And it's just a reminder that every day, God's got something fresh that He wants to say to me. He's got something baking in the oven of His Word. And we have the responsibility to go and to get it. You know, the prophet shepherd Amos spoke about a famine that was coming. But it wasn't a famine of food. It wasn't a drought. It was a spiritual famine. He said there's a famine coming to the land. I want to read this verse to you and see if you don't see this in our own culture today. Amos chapter 8 verse 11. He said the days are coming declares the sovereign Lord. When I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water. But a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Can I just tell you, we have a famine in the church today. There is a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And it's not for a lack of material. It's not because there's a shortage of God's word. In fact, I read a recent Barna report that said in a year's time, Americans will spend over $59 billion on Christian products and programs. That's billion with a B. $59 billion a year on Christian products and programs. We've got DVDs. We've got CDs. We've got curriculums. We've got books. We've got bracelets. We've got necklaces. We've got t-shirts and bumper stickers. Everything in the world that you could think of to supplement our relationship with God. And yet, in the church, I don't know that too many people would argue that there's a famine of the Word of God. There's a famine of the Word of God. And all those resources are good. I've got no problems with them. They're great. They're good resources. But they're supplements. Can you imagine if you just got up every day and and ate a fistful of multivitamins, but you never actually ate a meal? How healthy would you be? And that's how a lot of Christians are trying to live out their spiritual life. They'll take a supplement here of Christian radio. They'll take a supplement here of reading a daily devotional or, or a little motivational article or, or whatever it might be. But that's all they're getting. And it's like they're just eating supplements and they're not getting any substance. I'm going to tell you, the way to build spiritual muscle is to take this book every day, open it up, and sit at the feet of spiritual mentors and and choose every day to choose the one thing like Mary did. The one thing. To not be distracted with all the things, but to say the one thing is the thing I'm going to do. And to make up your mind every day to chase away the little foxes. Those things that just want to destroy the vineyard where your relationship with God is to be cultivated. Chase those things away. Whatever you have to do, if it's leave your phone in the other room, 
take a walk, do something, change your location, change the atmosphere, chase away the little foxes. Because if you're going to build strength, if you're going to build spiritual muscle, you got to be a daily feeder on the Word of God. Now with the time that I have left, as I said earlier, I, I want to be really practical. I want to I help you to do this every day. I want to help you. <clears throat> I want to give you some advice. Are you ready for it? It's going to be profound. Use soap. You should start writing now. Right? Use soap. Hey, listen. If you take a shower and you don't use soap, how many of you know that shower is not going to be very effective? You're going to be like a junkyard dog in a rainstorm. Not going to work. You got to use soap. And I want to give you an application for your daily devotional life. Just using the word soap. It's an acronym. S-O-A-P. In case you needed help spelling it. Soap. I want to tell you what each letter stands for. And I want to help you to go into the secret place with God. To go before the Lord with just you. And a few items. And to receive nourishment directly from the Father. To be a self-feeder. To pick up your own spiritual fork and see God strengthen you. S stands for Scripture. O stands for observation. The A stands for application. And the P stands for prayer. Let me talk about Scripture for a moment. Now let me give you the five requirements before I, I talk about Scripture. There's five things that you need to have. One is a Bible. Got to have your Bible. Second thing is a journal. Something, something to write down what God tells you. I, I don't care if, if, you, if your thing's not a leather-bound journal. Yours might be a grocery list that's stuck to the refrigerator. I, I don't care what you write on, but you need a, a journal. Something you can keep. Preferably not a sticky note that's going to get thrown away. Something you can hang on to. You need a pen, thirdly. You need something to, to write this stuff down with because you're going into this moment expecting that God is about to speak to you. So you need a Bible. You need a journal. You need a pen. The next thing you need is a Bible reading plan. And we made those available at the beginning of the year. We have some at the Information Center. And you can download them off the Internet. But a Bible reading plan is a systematic schedule to read through the Bible. To just read through the whole Bible. And it's really important that you do that. And I'll talk about why. But the last thing you need, and I think this is important. The last thing you need is a daily planner. Your calendar. Uh, your agenda. Whatever that looks like for you. And here's why. And, and this, is, this is, happens to me all the time. Probably happens to you too. Every time I try to get quiet with God. And I start reading the Word and thinking about the Word. Right then, that's when the little foxes find their way in. That's when I start thinking of all the other stuff I got to do. Does that happen to you? I mean, as soon as I start trying to meditate on the Word, I remember something I'm supposed to do. Some, somebody I'm supposed to call, somewhere I'm supposed to be later. Here's why you need to have your planner, your agenda, your day timer, whatever that looks like for you. Here's why you need to have it with you. Because when that happens, just write it down. Just write yourself a note and keep going. Don't deal with it then. Just write it down and keep going. Going. See, we talk about the Holy Spirit wanting to be involved in every aspect of our life. And yet a lot of times, for me, whenever some thought comes into my mind, I just think, well, that's just a distraction, and I, and I just fight it off. 
But sometimes it's the Holy Spirit reminding me that, hey, this is important. But I'm not going to let it take away from that moment I have with Jesus in my devotional life. So you just write it down on that list, on that agenda, on that calendar. And you keep moving forward. Let me talk about scripture for a minute. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Love this verse. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Did you know this book is alive? It's alive. Listen, there is no other book in the world like this book. I, I love devotionals. I, I've, I've got a lot of them. I, I love books by Christian authors. Got plenty of those. But I want to tell you, there is no other book that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. Those books can stir your soul. Those books can encourage you. Those devotionals, they can certainly help. But there's only one book in all the world that has the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. That means there's breath on the page. God makes it alive and active. It's God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. All Scripture, it says. All Scripture. All 66 books. All 1,189 chapters. All 31,102 verses. That's why you need a Bible reading program. So you don't open it up every day and just go to your favorite. You know, like, I'm just going to read the Psalms, I guess. And then you just go and read the Psalms. No. Let the Spirit of God mentor you in every page, all through the Word of God. He wants to teach you things from people that you would never schedule an appointment with. But when you have a systematic reading program, you find yourself at the feet of mentors that you otherwise would have ignored. Guys like Amos, the minor prophet, who said there's a famine of the Word of God in the land. God wants to speak to you through these mentors. So... Get a routine. Get a a systematic approach to get into the Scriptures. Listen, God wants to speak to you. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, like, I don't don't know how to hear God. I don't know how to hear. Don't ever say, God's not speaking. Don't ever say that. Because as long as we have this book, God is speaking. I mean, if you want to be honest, just say, I don't read my Bible. Or maybe that's not the case. Maybe you don't want to say, I, I don't read my Bible, but say, you know, I, I don't hear God saying what I want Him to say. Because sometimes that's the deal. It's not that God's not speaking. It's not that He's not saying what we want Him to say. Don't say He's not speaking. He is speaking. And He can speak a multitude of ways. He can write on the wall like He did for Daniel. He can talk through a donkey like He did for Balaam. He can lead with a pillar of fire or a cloud like He did for Moses and the children of Israel. He can talk a multitude of ways. But his primary way of communicating, his main means, his loudest and most consistent voice is his word. He's speaking through his word every day, all the time. And we receive revelation from God in his word. I'm not not talking about some new revelation, something that's mystical or far out there. Think air, water, food. 
the staples, the things that you need. God is speaking to us through His Word. You know, if you come to our midweek prayer gathering, maybe you would notice, but I never go into a prayer meeting without my Bible. Why would, why would I do that? If I understand that the Word of God is His primary means of communication, and prayer is not just a one-way street, prayer is a conversation. I want to hear from God. When I pray, I don't just want to talk. I want to listen. I want to hear what God has to say to me. Why would I silence His most authoritative voice in my life? So I always have my Bible with me when I pray, because sometimes God just brings a word to my heart. Something, maybe it's something I read earlier that week in my devotion. And all of a sudden, in this moment of prayer, I'm thinking about it again. God begins to give me clarity. I go back. I double back to it. I read it again. I let God speak to me again. Listen, the Word of God is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of the ages. God wants to speak to you powerfully through His Word. So let's get back to the soap. While you're, while you're reading from your Bible, from a reading plan, ask the Holy Spirit this question. So here's, here's how my reading plan works. I don't know which one you have, but I, I recommend one like this. Mine gives me portions of Scripture all through the Bible. So I might read something out of the Old Testament. I might read something, and then the second portion is a chapter or two out of Psalms or Proverbs. And then I might have something out of the prophets in there. And then I'll have something out of the New Testament. So when I look at my Bible reading program, it tells me today I'm reading from, you know, Genesis 1. And then I'm reading Psalms 1. And then I'm going to read uh, Jeremiah 1. And then I'm going to read Matthew 1. And so maybe my year starts that way. But every time I sit down to do my devotional with a Bible reading plan, it gives me several places to read from. Now here's what you do. Here's how soap works. You ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate one verse. It might be in Genesis, it might be in Psalms, it might be in Jeremiah, it might be in Matthew. Holy Spirit, give me one verse today. Can I tell you, He loves when you pray like that. And when you see that verse, He's already highlighted it by His Spirit. When you come across it, underscore it with your faith. That one verse, write it down in that journal. That one verse. Now don't ask for ten verses. Don't ask for God to give you a message, a sermon, or, or, or a book. Ask for one verse. And when you see that verse... Mark it down in your journal. That's scripture. Now, secondly, oh, observation. Here's what you do. Now you've got a verse of scripture. You've wrote it down. Now, we don't go to the word to see what it says to us first. It does speak to us. But when you go to the word, you go to the word to see what it says first. There was an actual audience that was written to. There were people that that was written for. And so the first thing you do when you read that, you go back to that verse and you observe the text. You, you, you look at who said it, who they say it to, what was the mood, what was the tone when they said it. What, what did it mean to the people that read it? You just look at that one verse and this is where you have to slow down. You can't go at your devotional life you know, and put, put God on a speed clock. You can't speed date the Holy Spirit. I just made that up. Somebody should tweet that, though. That's pretty good. Listen. <laughs> when you go to meet with God, you got to slow down. And here's the, here's the word, meditate. It means to mull over it. 
So you get this verse that God has given you and you begin to mull over. You begin to think about it. Jesus said this. He said, greatest commandment in all the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is where you engage your mind. You start thinking about what the Word of God says. Take several minutes and think about it. God said this in the Psalms. He said, be still and know that I am God. The truth is, you can catch a glimpse of God in a crowd, but to get to know Him best requires stillness. Be still and know. Know that I'm God. So when you're using soap in your devotional life, Write it out, what, what it says. Write it out in manuscript form. Don't do cliff notes. Don't do little bullet points. Actually write it out. Now, it doesn't have to be a book. It doesn't have to be a whole page. It might just be three sentences. But what, what does that verse say? Write it out. Write what it says. And it's important that you put it on paper. What's happening here? What, what are they saying? Who's, who's saying it? So you've got your scripture. Now you've observed the text. You just write it out. This is, this is what it says. Now what if I don't understand? Because I get that question all the time. I tried reading my Bible. I just don't understand. Have you ever heard somebody say that? We'll pretend we're not raising our hand for ourselves. We've heard other people say that, right? <laughs> right? Oh yeah, I know somebody that said that before. We've all been there. Well, you read something. I've done this before. I've done that this week. I read something and I said, What? I gotta grab a commentary or something. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I understand what that means. We've all been there before. Listen, if that's you, if you say, I don't understand the Bible, can I just tell you, you're in good company? You're in good, and I don't just mean our company. I mean, you're in good company in the Bible. Listen to this verse. Peter was talking about Paul. Paul wrote over half the New Testament. Peter is the cornerstone of the church. Here's what Peter said about what Paul wrote. He said, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. This is 2 Peter chapter 3. Now verse 16 says this, talking about what Paul wrote. He said, Paul wrote with the wisdom God gave him. And then he said, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. Then Peter says, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Which ignorant and unstable people try to distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter's acknowledging the fact that, you know what Paul writes? First of all, he's acknowledging that it's gospel. Because he said the same way they do with other gospels. So even in the New Testament, they already knew that the letters that they were writing were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But secondly, he acknowledged the fact that, hey, this is tough. This is hard to understand. There's a lot of people that don't understand it. Some people try to twist it to say something it shouldn't. But all of us have a hard time understanding it. Here's what you need to do. If you read your Bible and you don't understand 90% of it, Take a scripture out of the 10% you do understand. You might, you might read for 25 minutes and 90% of it doesn't make sense to you. But listen, all of life, including your devotional time with God, is a stewardship test. And if you will steward the 10% that you understand, let God speak to you one verse and go, that makes sense, this is what it says. 
If you'll steward that 10% next year, when you come back to that same verse, you might understand another 10%. Now you're up to 20%. And why would God give you more revelation if you're not faithful with what he's already shown you? Come on, that was good. Y'all aren't helping me this morning. The reality is, you know enough of God's word already to do far more than you're doing right now in obedience to that word. Now, I know that's true of you because it's true of me. The fact is, God has given us what we need to serve Him faithfully today. And if you'll be faithful, be a steward. Say, I don't understand 90% of this. Well, then write down the 10% that you understand and let God speak to you about it. And now you've written that verse down. And now you've observed the text. Maybe in just a few sentences. Maybe if you love to write, you got time, you can write a book. But for some of us, it's just a few sentences. This is what it says. That's the O. That's observation. Now, the A is application. And I cannot stress enough how important this step is. This is where you plan to put into practice what the Holy Spirit is teaching you in the Word of God. This is important. That's why it's important that you just choose one verse. You ever been to a seminar for work or something? And and they give you like a a three-ring binder coming in. And you go to this all-day workshop. And they tell you 150 things to do to improve your business. Or, you know, you come away with all this stuff. And then you go back home. And you set that three-ring binder down on the coffee table. And there it stays. There it is. It's nothing. It was so, it was information overload. You didn't do any of it. Best thing you can do is take one nugget, one piece of truth, one bit of wisdom and go, I'm taking, I'm doing that. When I get back to work Monday, I'm doing that. Just that one thing. I'm doing, and once you've done that, you can move on to something else. That's the way it is with God. We try to get God to give us 25 things. I'm gonna do this. It's like your New Year's resolution that you probably already forgot about. You know, it's not gonna happen. But if I just say, give me one thing, God. And I write that verse down. And I observe the text. Now I move into application. And I ask the Holy Spirit. I say, I say, Holy Spirit, what does this say to me? You know, he loves that question too. Holy Spirit, what does this say to me? Here's the difference. Knowledge is the amassing of information. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that information. God wants to give you wisdom. Not just knowledge. The Pharisees had knowledge. They had all kinds of information, but they didn't know what to do with the Son of God. God wants to give you wisdom. Jesus said it like this. He said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Last week we ended with the the story of the wise and the foolish builder. The difference in those builders being that one heard the word and did nothing with it. The other heard the word and applied the word. You want to be wise. You have to apply what God tells you. James said it pretty explicitly when he was writing to the church in James chapter 1, verse 23. He said, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. That's what a person who reads the word but doesn't apply it is like. 
You sit down, you, you got your coffee brewed, you got your leather-bound journal, you got your Bible, you got the, the perfect spot, you've taken time, you read the Word, you observe the Word, and then you just say, well, that was great. And you get up and you leave and you forgot. How many of us, now don't raise your hand, all of us, have had a moment in our life where we sat down and read the Bible, maybe five minutes, maybe an hour, and then by three o'clock in the afternoon, you don't have a clue what you read this morning. Right? We've all been there. Hey, what'd you do in your devotion this morning? I'm like, oh, I did them. I know, I really, I did do them. I don't remember what, I did do them. You ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how, how do you want this one verse, this one passage to speak to me today? Application is the difference between hearing the word and doing the word. Application closes the gap between what we believe and how we behave. That's a gap that needs to be closed in every one of our lives. How we behave and what we believe. Because we can talk all day about what we believe. But how we behave communicates how well we apply what we heard. That's where the application comes in. So you write it down. Here it is. This is, this is what the Holy Spirit's telling me out of this verse. The last step, the P, is prayer. Prayer. Now this, this part is an important step. And I want to encourage you, when you do this, write it out. Write your prayer out. Maybe you've never written your prayers. And don't do shorthand. I mean, actually write the prayer out. Again, it doesn't have to be long. Maybe it's one sentence. Maybe it's two sentences that you just say, God, here, here's my prayer. This is my intentional step of obedience. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to help me to do this. And here's the cool thing. When you do that, because I've, I've done this for a long time. When you do that, you can go back later and you can read those prayers. And they're a testimony of the faithfulness of God. I can go back and look at some of the things I asked God and I go, man, I haven't even thought about that or prayed about that in, in years. That's awesome. And God did that for me. That's amazing. But here's another thing it does. Sometimes I double back and I read those prayers and I go, oh, I better pray that again. Like I still have the same issue. <laughs> that was like last year. But, but I, I see the prayer right before me. And I begin to verbalize it. And I'm intentional about it. And I ask God to help me with it. Hear my heart today. It's for you. My heart is for you. This is not a message of condemnation. I'll never know how you apply this to your life. But I know this, I can't grow for you. You can't grow for the person next to you. Your spouse can't grow for you. Your family can't grow for you. Your, your accountability partner, your friends, they can't grow for you. You have to get strong. And the way you do it is by opening up this book every day and allowing the Spirit of God to be your mentor, to let Him lead you to give you the wisdom of the ages. Don't be one of those Christians that tries to survive off a, a weekly feeding. You know, come to church, get a message, and then try to, you know, just spiritually fast the rest of the week. God wants you strong. It happens when we get in His Word. I want to pray for you today, and I know this message has been exceptionally practical, even more so than usual. But I want to encourage you in this. And, and really, the only appropriate response to a message like this is that you do it. That doesn't happen right here. 
at the close of a service. I want to challenge you this week. And, and let me say this. If, if you started the year and you have a Bible reading program and you're like, you know, seven weeks behind right now. Listen, here's a verse for you. Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what the Spirit of God wants you to do? Just find today's date and start there. Because this, this is not like a, a quick fix. This is not like, you know, if I don't go back and catch up, I'm never going to read it. Yeah, next year. Next year, you're going to come right back. It's the same 66 books. See, we're on a rotation here. So don't try to go back and catch up. Just start today. And if five days from now you miss a couple days, just pick up on the day you're at. Keep checking those little boxes and, and, and reading and letting the Holy Spirit speak to you. Don't let something as, as insignificant as self-condemnation. You go, well, now I'm never going to catch up. Because then you speed read and speed date the Holy Spirit and you get no depth. You get no understanding. You get no insight. Take it slow. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I'm telling you, if you'll take 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes if you're a slow reader, every day, and read through a Bible reading program, you can read the whole Bible in a year's time. But what if you just took another 20 minutes and said, Holy Spirit, show me one verse. And all that, I, show me one verse. And then you write that verse down. And you mull over it. And you meditate. And you pray about it. And you, you jot down a couple thoughts. What's happening here in this verse? And then... You begin to apply it. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? How does this apply to my life? You write that down. Here's what he's telling me. And then you make it a prayer. You say, God, help me to do this this week. Help me to do this. He will. He'll, he will help you to do it. 